Hey, welcome everybody. Hey, welcome everybody to today's episode of the Law of Self-Defense, the almost on time edition for Thursday, January 18th, January 18th already. It's amazing how time flies. I am, of course, attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense. Thank you so very much. Greatly appreciated. I'm glad you could all be here. Make yourselves comfortable. Going to, going to be, I think, a, a fairly brief show today, depending on how the Q&A rolls out. And everything should be working just right. So today we're going to be taking a look at a video of uh, an apparent road rage event where a gentleman on foot in the roadway, uh, gun in hand, approaches a green SUV, and it doesn't end well for him. He taps on the driver's side window with the muzzle of his pistol. It's almost the very last thing he does. He does go for a short jog, uh, but not very far immediately after that. So guaranteed this will be another age-restricted video on YouTube. Thanks, YouTube. Um, and there we go. So as usual, we will um, we'll cover the video today. I'll share my thoughts on it from a law, self-defense, legal analysis perspective. And then uh, before we head into the Q&A portion of the show, we will end um, the YouTube, Twitter, and Rumble streams, and it'll become a members-only show at that point. The good news is it's dirt cheap to be a Law of Self-Defense member. You can do it for just 99 cents. Do it now, and you'll be emailed instructions for how to join us for the members-only portion of the show and every show that we do like this. Only 99 cents for a two-week trial membership at lawofselfdefense.com slash trial or scan that QR code there on your screen. Or, uh, oh, and after the two-week trial, if you decide to stay a member, and everybody does, folks, it's still dirt cheap. It's only about 30 cents a day, less than $10 a month to be a Law of Self-Defense member. Again, take advantage of that now, lawofselfdefense.com slash trial, so you'll get emailed what you need to stay with us for the members-only portion of the show. All right. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and launch the formal start of today's show. All right, we're back. We're back. Before we dive in, briefly mention that today's show is sponsored by none other than Law of Self-Defense in the form of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense Principles. Check it out on Amazon, five-star rated. It's your handbook to how to be hard to convict if you're ever compelled to use force in defense of yourself, your family, your property. But don't buy the book on Amazon because Amazon will charge you, I think it's 20 or 25 bucks for the book plus shipping and handling. We only ask you to cover the cost of shipping the book to you. The book itself, we give you for free. You can get that at lawselfdefense.com slash free book, or just point your phone at that QR code right there on the screen, lawofselfdefense.com slash free book. All right, so let's hop right into the video. It's very short. It's only about 17 seconds long. I'll make it larger. There we go. Uh, you see the uh, the white hat there to the left of that SUV. Uh, this is the gentleman that's going to walk around to the driver's side 
with a gun pretty plainly in hand and tap the driver's side window. You do see this dude get shot. Likely, it appears, with fatal results. So if you're not ready for that, this was your warning. Um, There's other content out there on the internet to watch, but that's what we will be observing here. Here we go. Oh, there's no audio, by the way. There he is. Gun comes out right there, cycles the slide, taps on the glass, tap, 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 pop, 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 pop. Turns out the person inside the green SUV has a gun, too. This guy goes for a short jog, gets dizzy, falls down, and that's it. He's just laying there in the roadway, and everyone's just driving about, going about their business. Um, 17 seconds from when this guy decides he's going to play tough, he's going to F around until less than 17 seconds, right? When did the shots come through the window? Eight seconds. From when he, let's see, he presents the gun here. That's two seconds in. And uh, he catches what appear to be fatal rounds eight seconds in. So that's a six second, six second gap. That's how quick it went bad for him from his poor decision to present a gun to him being fatally shot. So notice he taps on the glass here, and then he actually lowers his pistol to his side. And then the people inside the SUV shoot him. Is that a problem from a legal perspective? Well, of course, the easy way to understand all of this is, as usual, to apply our five elements of self-defense analysis framework. These are the elements that make up any use of force justification for defense of yourself or other persons. Those five elements. That's the good news. There's not 500 elements of a claim of self-defense. There's not 50 elements of a claim of self-defense. There's only five and only up to five. Sometimes one or more of those elements is legally waived for one reason, in which case there could be four elements required or three elements or two or even sometimes just one. But the most you have to worry about is five. And those are, by the way, we make this cheat sheet freely available. It's right there on the screen. Lawofselfdefense.com slash elements. It's just a PDF download. Lists the five elements, provides a brief description of each. The key is, whichever of the five elements are required, well, obviously they're required. And for a prosecutor to defeat a claim of self-defense in court at trial. He has the burden of disproving self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. That doesn't mean disproving every element of self-defense because these are cumulative. He only has to disprove any one of the required elements of self-defense. And if he does that, your claim of self-defense doesn't just diminish, it collapses entirely. So from a prosecutor's perspective, when he gets an investigative report from detectives, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for Evidence, building blocks of evidence he can use that lead him to believe that he has a reasonable prospect of disproving any one of those elements beyond a reasonable doubt. And if he feels he can do that, he feels he can win at trial. Because remember, when you claim self-defense, you're not saying it wasn't me. You're not saying you have an alibi. You were someplace else. You're saying the opposite of that. You're saying it was me. I shot that guy and killed him. But I did it with the legal justification of self-defense. It's it's not coherent to try to argue it wasn't me and I did it in self-defense. So implicitly, at the very least, if you're claiming self-defense is a legal defense, you're implicitly conceding not to having committed a crime, but to having engaged 
in the underlying conduct, that's the basis for the criminal charge against you. You're saying, I shot that guy, but with the legal justification of self-defense. And the prosecutor knows that if he can defeat your claim of self-defense, so that part of your argument goes away, all that's left is effectively a confession, right? I shot that guy and killed him, period, if self-defense has been defeated as a legal justification. So if this person driving the SUV who fired those shots out the window, um, assuming this is investigated, and the prosecutor gets that investigative report, that's what he's looking for in this case. Are there one of those elements that I feel I can disprove beyond beyond a reasonable doubt? Now, of course, this event probably did not take place in the U.S. Many of these videos come from Brazil and other parts of South America, but for our purposes, we're going to pretend that this occurred in a U.S. jurisdiction. So, what are the five elements? Well, they are innocence, eminence, proportionality, avoidance, and reasonableness. And let's step through each of those. So innocence has to do with whether or not you or the other fellow was the initial physical aggressor in the confrontation. I wish there was a medium-sized setting for this. There really isn't. So let's go back to the video here. So who was the initial physical aggressor? The first person to use or threaten to use physical force in this confrontation. Uh, I'd suggest it was the guy in the white hat. When he does this, when he pulls out his gun. Could there be a justified reason for his pulling out his gun? Well, it's hard to imagine giving his conduct here, right? He's not trying to get away from this SUV. He's escalating the confrontation. Um, so I think it's reasonable to infer based on this evidence that this dude was the initial aggressor in this confrontation. And therefore that the person inside the SUV has the element of innocence in their favor, not a viable target of attack for a prosecutor to disprove beyond a reasonable doubt on this evidence. What about the next element? Imminence. Imminence has to do with whether or not the threat you're facing is actually occurring or immediately about to occur. So this guy comes around, gun out, cycles the slide, taps on the window with the muzzle of the gun, and then lowers his hand back to his side. Is that a problem for the defender in the SUV? He's not being shot at, right, in the moment. But is he facing an imminent threat? Would it be reasonable to infer from this guy's conduct that He's presenting himself as an imminent threat to the people inside the SUV. <clears throat> How do we evaluate imminence? Well, it has its own sub-elements, ability, opportunity, and jeopardy. When you have AOJ, you have an imminent threat. Ability, does this guy have the ability to cause harm? Well, everybody has some ability to cause harm, right? So the real question is, is it merely non-deadly harm or is it deadly harm? We'll address that when we get to the element of proportionality. Let's assume everybody has some ability to cause harm. Opportunity. Do they have the opportunity to bring that ability to bear? Where here the ability is the gun. Does he have the opportunity to bring the gun to bear? Sure. He's standing right outside the glass. Jeopardy. Is he conducting himself in such a way that a reasonable person would infer that he intends to bring that ability and opportunity to bear against an innocent person. 
because of course, he, if he were just a uniformed police officer, just walking on the sidewalk here, he'd have ability and opportunity, but presumably would not be conducting himself to represent Jeopardy. Well, this guy's certainly presenting Jeopardy, right? And he's pointing the muzzle at the people inside the van. Ability, opportunity, Jeopardy, we have an imminent threat here. So we have innocence, we have imminence. The next element is proportionality. Are we dealing with a non-deadly force threat or a deadly force threat? If this guy is only presenting as a non-deadly force threat, you could only use non-deadly force to defend yourself. But he's not. He's presenting as a deadly force threat. He's presenting a gun at the innocent victims. And because he's presenting as a deadly force threat, he can be defended against with deadly defensive force. The element of proportionality also soundly within the defender's favor. By the way, even if he was presenting with only non-deadly force, if he attempts to breach the vehicle, in most jurisdictions, it would create a legal presumption that he intended to cause death or serious bodily injury to the people inside, just as if he were breaching a home. So it's possible there are circumstances here in which the people inside the SUV would be privileged to use deadly defensive force, even if explicitly it might not be clear that this guy was presenting a deadly force threat because the breach of the vehicle would be sufficient to create a privilege to use deadly defensive force. So we have innocence, imminence, proportionality, all on the side of the defenders inside the SUV. The next element is avoidance. Avoidance has to do with whether or not you have a legal duty to retreat before you can use deadly force in self-defense. There's only 11 states that impose this legal duty to retreat. 39 states are stand-your-ground states where you don't have a legal duty to retreat before you can defend yourself in an otherwise lawful act of self-defense. Let's pretend this happened in a duty-to-retreat state. Does the driver of the SUV have a legal duty to retreat? Well, you might have a generalized legal duty to retreat if you're in a duty-to-retreat jurisdiction, but that duty only applies if, one, uh, it can be done with complete safety. Uh, you're not required to increase your jeopardy in an effort to retreat. And two, if it's practically possible for you to safely retreat. So I, l- looking at this traffic, it's easy to imagine that there's another vehicle immediately in front of the SUV and they have no place to go. Well, if retreat would not be practical, it's not possible, then the legal duty doesn't apply. Also, are you going to drive away faster than a bullet? So often when you're faced with the muzzle of a gun, retreat's not possible anymore, not safely possible anymore. And therefore, you would not have the legal duty to retreat, even if you were in a duty to retreat jurisdiction. So innocence, eminence, proportionality, avoidance, all in favor of the defense here. What about reasonableness? Well, reasonableness has two facets. One is subjective reasonableness. Do you have a genuine good faith belief in the need to act in self-defense? And we kind of have to presume that's the case unless we have evidence to the contrary. Uh, what kind of evidence could be to the, could contradict a subjective belief in the need to act in self-defense? Well, if you go to the fight, if there's video of you advancing towards that other person, Um, Going to the fight never looks like self-defense. And it's inconsistent with a subjective fear of deadly force harm. If you think someone's trying to kill you, you're generally moving further away from that person, not getting closer to them. But let's assume there exists here a subjective, genuine, good faith belief 
that they're facing a deadly force threat. The other half of the reasonableness element is, well, is that subjective belief objectively reasonable? In other words, is it irrational? Is it speculative? Or would a hypothetical, reasonable, and prudent person in the same circumstances have shared that subjective belief? So it has to be subjectively reasonable and objectively reasonable. Well, we're presuming here a subjective belief in harm. Is that belief reasonable? Well, you're looking at a gun. They're not imagining that this guy might have a gun. Uh, they're not. Uh, he's not holding a slice of pizza and they irrationally are perceiving it as a gun. The guy's actually pointing a gun, handling something that in exactly the same manner as a gun. Even if this were to turn out to be a fake gun, if it's being presented in a manner that a reasonable person would perceive it as a real gun, you can defend against it just like it's a real gun. The threat you're facing doesn't have to be actual. It has to be reasonably perceived. You're allowed to make mistakes in self-defense, so long as the mistakes are reasonable mistakes. In any case here, of course, we have no indication that this is anything but a, a real gun here. So, subject of reasonableness, object of reasonableness, Innocence, imminence, proportionality, avoidance, reasonableness, all soundly in favor of the defender here. So when the prosecutor gets the investigative report about this event and looks at this video, which of those elements could he have a viable prospect of defeating, disproving, beyond a reasonable doubt in court? Well, on the facts and the law, none of them. So that's a pretty robust claim of self-defense. Now, does that mean that this driver, this SUV, could not be prosecuted? No, a prosecutor can take you take you to trial anytime he wants, essentially. Goes to a grand jury. Grand jury only hears his side of the story, gets an indictment, and off the trial you go. Now, he may not have much of a chance of winning a trial, but we see plenty of cases, the George Zimmerman case, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, where that was true, unlikely to win on the legal merits of the case, but sometimes these cases are brought for political reasons, purposes of political capital, purposes of uh, satisfying the, the mob that's outraged over a particular use of force event. And even if the prosecutors, the prosecutors, first of all, they always have some chance of convicting at trial. No matter how innocent you are, there's a greater than zero risk, somewhere between 10% to 50% chance you get convicted at trial, even if you're actually 100% innocent. Because the people evaluating your use of force afterwards, particularly the jury, they weren't there. They don't know what happened. They don't have any personal knowledge of the event. They're just relying on what they're hearing in the courtroom. Prosecutors telling a story of guilt. This killing was unlawful. Defense counsel is telling a story of innocence. And the jury has to decide what they believe. Do they believe the state has disproven any one of these elements beyond a reasonable doubt? And if it is a politically energized case, if the if the races of the parties are different, then it's then we have to risk not only the political con considerations of the jury, but potentially the political considerations of the judge and the political considerations of of the sorry of the prosecution of the judge and of the jury. They may be politically motivated to turn a a blind eye towards your legitimate claim of self-defense. Innocent people get convicted all the time, even in non-politically energized cases. But imagine you have a case where for a year or a year and a half or two years, uh, this defender was demonized in the media as a, as a racist or whatever negative connotation can be created, building that kind of narrative. 
And that's what the jury pool here is for a year, a year and a half, two years. You're a monster. You're a racist murderer. You're going to get an unbiased, impartial jury in that trial. Especially a jury that knows that eventually their names will be revealed. And if you're acquitted, the acquittal was unanimous. Every single one of them voted for acquittal. They've got to go to back to their communities and be known as the person who acquitted what everyone believes to be a racist murderer. So I talked about this in yesterday's video, the airport fight video, that if you can, I, I generally caution that you use as little force as possible to minimize your legal liability, your legal risks in these kinds of cases. The more force you use, the more attractive you become as a target for prosecution, the more um, likely it is a case could be politically energized in the way I just described and all the risks that come with that. But of course, I condition that caution on using as little force as possible by adding consistent with your safety. Don't increase your jeopardy in order to reduce your legal liability. The first priority has to be winning the fight. If you don't win the fight, nothing else really matters. And in this case, if someone's tapping on your car window with a gun, can you really use anything less than deadly force? Deadly defensive force? I would think not. Now, there's also tactical considerations here, right? This guy walks up to your car window, taps on the glass with the muzzle of his pistol. Do you even have a gun? Do you have a gun? Is it home? Is it in your car? Is it accessible in your car? Is it on your person? Is it accessible on your person? Have you ever practiced presenting a pistol while seated in a car? And not getting it tangled up in the steering wheel. I mean, I have lots of times. Especially, I mean, I've had practice shooting guns from cars through competitive shooting sports like IDPA. By the way, they're loud. Guns inside a car. Are you have, do you have a hearing protection on? Nope. Not in real life. Of course, when you're training, you'll be wearing hearing protection. But just be prepared. Guns are super loud inside the confined spaces of a car. So if you don't own a gun or your gun's at home or it's not accessible, you don't have any options here. You're at this guy's mercy, right? So keep those tactical considerations in mind as well. All right. So drawing while seated can be difficult. It can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's harder if you're heavy, too. Sorry, folks. That's just reality. Uh, all right. Let's see. I don't think I have anything else really to add about this. I will turn to the uh, begin the transition to the members-only portion of today's show, the Q&A portion of the show. Remember, you can become a member. Remember, you can become a member right now. Right now, for just 99 cents, get emailed directions on how to access the members-only live stream on the member dashboard over at lawofselfdefense.com. Just go to lawofselfdefense.com slash trial. For 99 cents, you get a two-week trial membership. Stay a member. And it's only about 30 cents a day. 
less than $10 a month to be a Law of Self-Defense member. That's at lawofselfdefense.com trial. Uh, for folks who are members watching the, the member live stream, don't go anywhere. We have a brief transition uh, slide that I'm going to put up. And uh, But stay right where you are because the, the show is continuing. It's just continuing with only you. I have to, I have to end the other streams. And I'm, I'm trying out a, a new way to do this. So here we go. YouTube, Rumble, Twitter. It's been great. Uh, I urge you to become a member. Join us for the rest of the show. If you're unwise and decide not to do that, I suppose I'll catch you next time. Here we go.